Hello, and welcome back to the Eccles Business Buzz Podcast. I'm your host, Frances Johnson, and I'm so glad you've joined us to continue our conversation about women in the workplace. Today, we're diving into the experience of professional women in Utah in particular. In a recent study published by Wallet Hub, Utah ranked as the worst state for women's equality and was ranked 49th in workplace environment for women. So what is going on and how can we all work together to make it better? Here to help us understand the landscape for professional women in Utah and beyond are Jennifer Robinson and Michelle Smith. Jennifer is the Chief of Staff at the Chem C. Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah, where she directs the Institute's economics and policy team. In this role, she oversees research projects with the goal of providing insightful information to community leaders, including the recent Diversity in Utah data book. Michelle Smith is Chief People Officer for the Larry H. Miller Company and Interim President for LHM Sports and Entertainment, where she works tirelessly to put Larry H. Miller values into practice as the company invests in its workforce, especially women. Jennifer and Michelle, welcome, and thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be with you all and get to know you both. So thank you for having me. Thank you too, Francis. It's a joy to be with you all today. Well, Jennifer, I'd love to start with you and hopefully have you paint for us a little bit of a broader picture for professional women in Utah and get into what might be causing some of these poor rankings on the national scale. Talk to us a little bit about the policy landscape and what are some of the institutional roadblocks for working women here in Utah? Yeah, I'm happy to do that, Francis. Let me dive into the Wallet Hub's ranking a little bit, help people understand what went into that. So it showed Utah as ranked 49th across the nation for women in the workplace. And it's really discouraging news for a lot of us, right? We were hoping we had turned a corner and had started to make some progress. The ranking accounted for things like income disparity, the number of women in executive positions in our businesses, unemployment rates, poverty rates, entrepreneurship, those kinds of things. It was 10 different metrics that went into that. 49th is not a place we want to be on that kind of ranking. I guess the word that I use for this is complexity. Francis and Michelle, this is not an easy issue to put your hands around to get an understanding about. But I think of it in three categories for the reasons that we're having these kinds of rankings. The first one relates to economic reasons, such as the tenure, how long somebody's been in a position in the labor force, the occupational pay differences between the different kinds of jobs people hold, and women tend to hold jobs that pay less than men behavioral differences. Those are things like the types of job women select, the types of occupation, pauses that they might take when they're in the workforce, leaving the workforce, the labor force, to have children, to raise their kids, and then re-entering it. Educational attainment differences. We certainly see some differences in our older population. And then there's societal issues, just discrimination that women face in the workforce challenges that they face, even societal norms that lead women to make choices different than men. So those are the kinds of challenges that we face that lead to these kinds of rankings. But I want to also point out that even though we have these poor rankings, Wallet Hub has also shown some really positive things for women. And I have a few things I wanted to share with you. Utah this year ranked 37th 
out of the country on economic and social well-being. It took into account median earnings, unemployment rates, job security, low poverty rates for women compared to men, 25th for women on health and safety across the country. Love that number. Number two in the nation for the number of women in poverty. So almost the best, but beat out by New Hampshire. That's a great statistic for us. Number 19 for working moms. I love that number as well. And then number 12 for work-life balance. So even though we have this ranking of 49th around the workplace environment, we have a lot of other statistics that show some positive things for women in our state. I have one more question before we move into kind of a micro view of these macro issues that we're talking about. And that's around the impact on the state of Utah when women don't succeed in the workplace or can't succeed in the workplace as they face these challenges. What's the economic cost to the state if women can't really thrive as professionals? Yeah. Francis, I think there are a lot of costs here. On the individual level, there's a cost to women, to their families, right? Challenges there. The lack of income that could come in. It's a wealth issue as well for families, a long-term issue. For businesses, it's a challenge for them because they're losing out on all of the talent that women could bring to their offices. This applies also to civic organizations, to government, to churches, to society at large. You lose out on talent, the intelligence, the hard work, all of the perspectives that they bring that are different from men's. And those add such richness. We know the research shows that it helps businesses to succeed when we have that. So those are the kinds of losses that we experience in our state. Well, Michelle, I think this is a perfect segue to you and your role as a chief people officer, really working on that culture piece and on the people piece of making sure that your company is an environment that's equitable, that's inclusive, that's a place where people can thrive I want to start with the negative and then move to the positive. So let's talk first about how company cultures can perpetuate either subconsciously or hopefully not on purpose, but let's just throw it on the table that it might be happening. How company cultures can perpetuate these challenges? Yeah. The reality is culture is going to happen no matter what, right? So I think starting to just at that point of understanding and being intentional of what do we want our culture and our business? What do we want the experience to be for the employees? What do we want the work environment? And that's not just a woman issue, right? That is an issue for all demographics, all generations and ages that are in the workplace together and male and female. And it just, so you start talking and having conversations and making that a real living strategy within the organization because it is. It's going to happen no matter what. So let's make it an intentional strategy to align with who we are and what we need to accomplish in the business. I think you start by having the conversations and making it a priority. And one thing that we've really focused on in the last several years is really belonging and understanding what belonging is. And If we can do that, then it kind of brings together inclusion and equity because you are creating a space where people feel like they have a tribe 
where they're seen, right? Where they're valued, where they're heard, where they're respected. They're not trying to fit in because that's the opposite of belonging. They are being themselves, their authentic selves. And so we do get their unique perspectives. That's diversity, right? That's diversity. And we start creating an environment where I see you and I see the differences. And therefore, I'm going to make sure that my behaviors or my communication have the impact on you because you are different than me. That's inclusion, right? Those are those things. And so we've had so many wonderful workshops and conversations and speakers that have really leaned into belonging as an integral part of our strategy to our culture. I love what you say, Michelle, that culture is going to happen no matter what. And so it behooves all of us in whatever type of organization we're working in, whatever role we're in in the community, to get ahead of it and drive the narrative instead of having it drive us and fix problems before they happen instead of scrambling to resolve them after they've become a really big issue. And I love also what you said about this idea of belonging. I think we're seeing a shift in the workplace, partly pandemic driven, I think partly driven by the generation of students who are now becoming employees and workers that we are people with lives outside of our work, with lives outside of our professions. One of the values of the David Eccles School of Business is empathetic global citizenship. And I think empathy is really a key ingredient to all these things that we're talking about, creating inclusive environments, fostering a sense of belonging. We have to be approaching people with empathy, with a desire to understand their experiences and their circumstances. Jennifer, I'd love to hear from you as you observe organizations from your own experience as a working person, as you are involved in policy and culture around the state. What role does empathy play in creating these safe environments for women and for everyone? Francis, maybe I'll share a story to emphasize my experiences and what I think is really important around this issue. The first thing I, I would point out is I think we build culture and it happens at the leadership level, but it requires everybody in an organization to believe in that as well. And you see that in an organization's mission, their value statements, and the Eccles School has that. Larry H. Miller has that. The Gardner Institute has those things in our vision, our mission, and we have core values as well. And I've been really fortunate throughout my career to work in organizations that value women in the workplace and working women. And that's been important for me as a mother. I have two children at home right now. And I've been very, very lucky to have bosses who've been understanding through those experiences. One of the really challenging moments, I think, for any mother is when you have to come back from maternity leave. It is a painful experience to leave your new baby. Some women come back, you know, within four to six weeks. I had 12 weeks. So I had a three-month-old baby that I was going to leave at a daycare center. It's really, really a challenging moment for a mother. And I had a boss that was very, very understanding. And what we did is we made this a very slow transition back to the office. So the first week I came back and I worked like a Thursday and Friday. And I think I worked maybe four hours each day. That was terrific. 
The next week, I think I worked 10 hours for the whole week. And then for several weeks, I was at a 20-hour week position. And then he allowed me to come back at three-quarter time rather than full-time. And I was at three-quarter time till my daughter went to kindergarten. It was this incredible opportunity for me to stay in the workforce. I didn't have to leave. didn't feel pulled. I felt like I could continue to have that job satisfaction, do the things I wanted to do with my career, have the support from the office, and still have all that family time that I wanted to have. It was a very unique situation for me, but I learned so much from that about helping women to find the right place for them when they need to come back after maternity leave. And I would just encourage any office to try to create a culture that does something at the individual level to help their employees, whether it's dealing with coming back from maternity leave or while their kids are in school and you're trying to make sure you're doing all those things you want to do, like see your kids' performances or get to your your daughter's high school soccer game. Or as we have aging parents, a lot of us are stuck in what we call the sandwich generation where we have children at home and parents who are aging that need a lot of help. And I think those are not unique to women. I think they apply to men as well. And I would just love to see our culture change to continue to allow more flexibility for working families, individuals, whether they have children or not. This is a great point because we talk a lot about organizations, governments, communities at large. What do we need to do on that big scale to create an environment that works for individuals? And I think that is really important and that work needs to happen and those conversations need to happen. But there is also space where individuals can make a difference too, right? And it comes to your example, Michelle, your story, Jennifer, of saying, I'm just going to gather up a little bit of extra courage and be honest and vulnerable about what I need. And isn't it also comforting? I mean, I just love that people in my workplace know my kids' names and what their extracurricular activities are. And they can ask me, I have three kids and I have a boy in the middle. He's eight and he's really into competitive breakdancing. And it just like fills my heart with joy when people ask like, what's going on with Alistair and breakdancing? It just means I'm that much more comfortable in my workplace. I feel that much more seen, that much more accepted, that much more of a person with a life that is informed by all these different experiences and exposures. I think sometimes we're worried like we're going to be embarrassed if people at work know too much about us or write this term of oversharing when for me anyway, it just makes it that much more of a place where I feel like I belong. Yeah. It also manages narratives because I can be open about my needs of my family or my children. If I'm running out of the office at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, the narrative, the intention is because I am trying to continue to live to the value that I have placed personally on being a mom or being a daughter, right? If you're running out to a doctor's appointment with your aging parent, or if you're running out to a middle school volleyball game that starts at 3.15 in the afternoon, which is not convenient in any way, shape or form, but you can't have that again, right? You can't create those memories again. 
then people understand that I'm not trying to be lazy or that I don't care about my job. I'm trying to integrate my life into also the priority that I have and the commitment I have to my job and to the people that I work with and to the responsibilities that I have. And so it's just so so powerful when you can just have conversations and know who people are and create a culture of belonging. I love this example that's come up that as women in particular, because that's what we're talking about, but everyone we need to sort of develop this skill to speak up when we need something, to ask when we need something. I think for women in particular, it might be difficult to do that. It's not something that we're trained culturally or societally to feel comfortable with. Jennifer, I'd love to hear from you some ideas of some other skills that as women in particular, we need to develop or ways that we can invest in ourselves so that we can really be prepared to address the challenges that we might face and maybe even smooth the way for some of the people who are coming up behind us. I'm happy to talk a little bit about skills. Let's start with asking for what you need. That is not an easy thing to do. I shared my example of the success with my first child asking for what I needed. I had a different boss with my second child and asked for what I needed and was immediately told no. You know, I asked for a slow return to the office, just maybe a month at working half time or three quarter time to help that transition and was told that that wasn't going to be an option for me. I had to come back at full time. Really disappointing news, right? But that's what he thought the office needed. And so I met that goal and came back full time. You have to be willing to hear the no if you ask for something and to understand that your boss, your organization may have needs that are not what align with you and some of your priorities or some of your goals. And you have to sometimes just accept that and move along. But that doesn't prohibit you from asking again the next time, right? So that would be my first, ask for what you need, but be ready for the no, because you might not always get the yes. (laughs) The next thing is to think about continually developing your skills to upskilling and not to just rest on your laurels. And I think that's super important in today's age. The workplace is changing incredibly quickly. And to continue to seek out opportunities to gain new skills, to attend trainings, get certificates, or even get a higher degree, like a master's degree or more, so that you're always ready for the changes that are happening in your workplace and that you're ready to make that next step in your career when those opportunities arise. And then the last piece of advice that I have for people is that I really believe good things come when you work hard. So put in the hours, do a little extra, keep your focus at the office when you can. And I think you'll be rewarded for your efforts in your career. We've talked a little bit about generational differences and how these ideals that newer, younger workers hold are really driving a lot of workplace change, I think. As you look forward into the workplace, what do you hope workplaces look like for women in 5, 10, 20 years? What are the changes that we're working towards? Michelle, let's start with you. I love that. There's so much hope that I obviously have. I have three daughters. I don't know if they'll be in the workplace or not. It's their journey. They are not me. 
But if they are, and, and just even in the environments and cultures of being a stay-at-home mom in the school community or the church community, I want and hope that people will continue to, you said, the muscle of empathy. I really hope that that continues to be a safe place for us to evolve as a state and, and as a culture and as a society and continue to recognize what's going on in people's lives and the differences that they have in navigating through those. In the workplace, I continue to have a strong desire for, for diverse perspective all around. Of course, for females, but diverse perspective for males too and their backgrounds and, and their perspectives and continuing to create an environment where all of those can work together to accomplish and innovate and, and have creativity and problem solving. The businesses need them. <laughs> Things move so fast now and technology is a component and influencer. And so we have got to create those environments where we can all use the diversity that lives within us and the skill set to achieve and grow. From a policy standpoint, I think businesses are going to need to be honest and willing to realize that what a nuclear family may have looked like will continue to change and evolve. And that our next generation is going to have more diversity to how they grew up or their backgrounds and lived experiences than previous generations. And therefore, their expectations and that expectation sounds like such a strong word, right? The entitlement, we hear that word a lot too. And I kind of go, oh, I don't want that for them because it's just their lived experiences that are influencing now what they want to achieve and how they want to achieve it and the way they work and, and how they accomplish things. And so I think we need to prepare ourselves as leaders to have some really good conversations and to be able to evolve and provide them what they need. And in return, I will ask the next generation to work on their skill set of coping. I will ask that. I'm often asked as I serve in other capacities on boards, and, and one is up at Utah State University, my alma mater, and they'll say, what, you know, how can we help the next generation? They're providing so many incredible technical skill sets, but that soft skill set of coping, because things change, business strategy changes, your peer or project team will change and bring new dynamics and shifts to that. We don't know if we're going to have a global pandemic again. That was change. Work environment, office space changes. And so to be able to have a muscle to cope through change could be such a differentiator and how they enjoy work and the things that they're able to accomplish. And I would say home or community family, friends, their other spaces in their lives, that is a skill set that absolutely translates. Yeah, nothing we're talking about really is confined to work, right? I mean, we are talking about success in the workplace and particularly the success of women in the workplace, but all of these skills, coping, empathy, creating belonging, being inclusive, being brave and courageous to speak up and speak out those are things that we need anywhere. Jennifer, how about from you? What are you hoping to see in the next 
five, 10, 20 years as the workplace evolves? I have a few thoughts on this. The first is I want to see the progress that has happened post-pandemic continue for women in the workplace. It applies for men too, but it's around belonging. You know, we have a diversifying state. Our state, I'm just going to look at the numbers right now for you, but our state in 1990 was about 10% was a minority population, racial and ethnic minority. We're at 23% of our population is a racial and ethnic minority, and that's just projected to continue to increase. We want to continue to create workplaces that create belonging a culture of belonging for the workers. I mean, we absolutely have to do that with the type of immigration we're having and the population changes, those demographic changes that we're experiencing. The second thing is I want to keep the cultures growing in our businesses and our governments and our nonprofits that really value that integration of the work and the home life. I think it's very, very important. And we see how how that changed, that pivoted during the pandemic. And that relates to the flexibility in the workplace flexible work hours, flexible work locations, those kinds of things. And then the last thing that's on my mind is really a concern for me, Francis. I am very, very concerned about childcare and the availability, the affordability, and the quality of childcare in our communities. And I would love to see our business community lead out on this issue. When I hear from families that they can't afford childcare, and so the choice is to leave the labor force and to be at home with their children when they would prefer to be in the labor force, prefer to work, but they can't afford to do that because of the cost of childcare or they have concerns about quality, or there's just a lack of accessibility, a lack of slots available, especially for infants and those under two. It's really a concern for me. I would love to see some progress in that area for our state. That's a big one. In Utah, especially, I think, with such a young population, we know there's just kids everywhere, (laughs) right? I think that's huge here, especially to provide That flexibility, like you're saying, so that the decision isn't made for you. Well, I can't go back to work because I can't afford childcare. I can't find childcare. I don't feel comfortable with the childcare that is available to me. But to be able to own that choice and say, I feel comfortable going back and I have the resources I need to do that. Or I feel comfortable staying home, but I'm not being forced into that position. That's huge. That certainly was a big motivator in my own sort of professional journey and leaving the workforce for eight years was because childcare was kind of mysterious to me. It felt inaccessible and just so expensive that it didn't seem worth it. Yeah, those are big ones. All right, ladies, to close us out, this is a question that I ask every guest to end the episode. I'd love to hear from both of you a piece of advice that you wish you had as you were starting your career. Jennifer, let's start with you this time. All right. I think the most important thing is to do what you love. And this goes to Michelle's point about being nimble. There are lots of job opportunities that will be available, but if you do what you love, you're going to be able to bounce from position to position, find those opportunities that are the right fit for you. And when you do what you love, you do not work a day in your life. So that would be my advice. Awesome. Michelle, how about you? I love that. So the piece of advice that I would give to myself when I was younger and maybe to myself now and I'm not (laughs) so young 
would be to pause. There is so much power in a pause. And again, this has application to all parts of our life, not only in the workplace, but outside. And if I give myself a three-second pause in a situation, I can realign how I'm feeling. I can find my words. I can find my courage. I can find my vulnerability. I can find my empathy. I can find whatever it is so that I can ensure that the outcome aligns with my intention. So there is so much power in pause. That is absolutely my recommendation and and the advice I would give. Take a breath. Pause. Two great pieces of advice. Take a breath. Pause. Do what you love. And so many other great pieces of advice that we've been able to talk about for individuals and for organizations. I'm so grateful to both of you for sharing your insights and your own vulnerability and pieces of your own journeys. Thank you so much, Jennifer and Michelle, for joining me today. Thank you. It was wonderful. I appreciate you both. Thank you. It's so good to be on the show with you both. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. I hope you enjoyed this discussion about both the challenges facing women in the workplace and how we can all be part of the solution. We'll be back next week with another great conversation. So be sure to subscribe to Eccles Business Buzz wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Until next time, Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM.